Good morning. Man, it's great to see you. Uh, my name is Chris. If I don't know you, I am the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone, and I am stoked that you're here with us. Um, I'm especially excited about what we get uh, to be a part of this morning. Uh, we really get to witness uh, what we have been talking about over the last couple of weeks. If you're visiting, let me just catch you up real quick. Uh, we've been exploring the idea of Christian community. Uh, what's the point? Uh, what does it look like? Why be a part of it? And what we set up to this point um, is that you will always be able to look at the church from a, a material kind of secular perspective and find what we've called superficial commonalities within any church. All right, so we giggled at how most of us, for whatever reason in this church, drive gray Honda Odysseys. You may have thought you pulled up to a homeschool co-op when you came here today. And so we just giggled. There's, there's these superficial commonalities. So whether it's like we all like the same music or this author or this general position towards politics or uh, we think this way about this cultural issue or we dress alike or we all sport mullets, whatever it is. In churches, a lot of times it's theological issues, right? So we have, this, we have certain thinking on revelation or Holy Spirit or gender roles or predestination. And that's fine. That's fine. You can have those. I mean, welcome. Whatever, however you think about that, right? The problem is when those things become become the flag of what it means to be a Christian. See, these are secondary, superficial commonalities. Those things are not what binds us together as the church of Jesus across history, time, space, nation, class, history, space, like outer space. I said space. Anyone catch that? Like aliens, right? No one caught it. All right. That's not what binds us together, y'all. These are things that we can see from the outside and say, oh, well, they all have mullets. I guess it's just, that's what you do when you... See, the problem is when these superficial commonalities come to the top of what it means to be a Christian, the problem is someone walks in the church and thinks, well, I guess I've got to drive a gray Honda Odyssey to be a Christian and listen to Pat Barrett or read C.S. Lewis or whatever. All those are great things, great things, good things, but they aren't what binds us together across time and space, right? The problem is... When the action of God, I'm talking about talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, I guess you're just going to be bored for a while. I'm talking about the problem is, you're not going to be bored, actually. You're going to enjoy this. When the action of God becomes eclipsed by the action of man. That's the problem in the church. That's the problem with religion as a whole. When the action of God becomes eclipsed by the action of men, right? And the flag of the church then begins to be behavior modification or sin management or God help us some political persuasion. The most common flag that comes uh, to people's minds when you think of what it means to be a Christian is a set of ethical standards. We, ch we chatting, right? So we've been trying to push back against that and remind our hearts that the flag of the church, all right, the banner over generations and generations of Christ followers is that God's love and power in Christ has done what law nor politics nor social ties could ever do. Amen. Man, that was hardy. Come on. <laughs> Y'all need to step it up over here. Right? <laughs> so that's what we've been. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, that's what we've been tethering our hearts to. Not our action. Not how we embody the faith, not how we think about this secondary issue, but that Christ has done what the law could not do. 
what politics couldn't do, what us even being a part of this great community can't do, right? Christ has done it. And if our action, if our response to what he's done begins to eclipse what he's done, if that begins to be the point, how we respond to it, then our message gets just a little off. This is the thing about This is the thing about when your message just gets a little off. At the beginning, you don't notice. One, two degrees. We're all together, you know? I mean, just just a little bit off. What happens in 50 years? Way off, right? And so we've been just going at this. I've been trying to just beg you to see the reason you're in this room right now is not because we've got a cool sound system or the speaker's funny sometimes or an idiot most times, right? The reason you're in this room right now, not just because we all happen to look alike or think alike on this issue, the reason you're in this room now is because Jesus has done something in you that this room and this place and all this infrastructure can't do. It doesn't have the power, y'all. Going to church, as good as it is, we don't have the power to do what Christ has done, has claimed he's done in your heart and life. So we've just been wrestling with that. The church has been mandated, y'all, to do one thing, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our proclamation. That is our message. That is our motivation. We proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And it is fun. So to help our minds get around this idea, we thought about the long history of Christianity, which is full of people that have not just lived for Jesus, but have died for Jesus. Most of Jesus' closest friends were murdered because they would not shut up about the excellencies of Jesus. Fox's Book of Martyrs, originally published in the 16th century, documents people who would rather die than forsake the primary proclamation of the church. Now, why is that helpful when we're talking about modern American cultural Christianity? Why is that helpful? Because if you put someone who is willing to die next to someone who just likes, you know, the style of music, all of a sudden things start to look weird, you know? Like, if you put someone who's willing to die for something next to, like, I mean, for example, I mean, Matt, great job today, right? Singing his heart out. Maybe you were, like, on the verge of, like, am I willing to die for Jesus? And then Matt hit that high note, and you're like, you know what? I'm willing to die for Jesus now. (laughs) Anybody? Did that just like, you know, did that just like push you over the edge? Are you heckling me? <laughs> Look, like, listen, this helps us think about this, y'all. We are in a stream, whether we like it or not, of consumeristic Christianity. Amen. We have bought into the lie that this thing is all about us. And we have catered the structure of our services. We've catered what it means to be a Christian. All around, I am the center of this. And here's the deal. This is why it's helpful to think about people who have died for this. When you're thinking about what binds Christians together across time and space. No one lays their life down because the pastor was funny. No one lays their life down because they like the decor. And it helps us position ourselves in something that so far transcends what we see in this room right now. Something historical, something biblical, right? And I've been pleading with you to see that the content of Christianity is not us. It is not how we do things. Our message is not 
Listen to me right now. Listen to me. Our message, the message of the church, I don't know what you've heard growing up. I don't know where you came from. I don't know most of y'all in this room, right? Some of you, most of you, maybe I do. Some of you, all of you, I don't know, whatever. But I don't know what you think about this, all right? I don't know what you heard about what the message of Christianity is. The message is not, this is how you reach God. You might have been taught that. Maybe you think you're here because I'm supposed to learn this is how I reach out to God. That's not the message. The message of Christianity is that God reached to us in Christ. Okay? We, we don't look. Maybe you're here because you're like, I just want to be a better person. I just want to be selfless. We don't preach. This is how you be selfless. Then God will accept you. We preach Christ emptied himself for you despite your selfishness. Right? That's the gospel. And there's something freeing about that if you will sit with it. Okay? You're not here to make you. It's not, you don't go to the church like you go to the gym, y'all. Okay? We come to each other as bringers of the message of salvation. And every time we hear it, our hearts are either warmed by it, softened to it, and we begin to walk on the truth that Christ has done something for us that we couldn't do, or every time we hear it, your heart will be hardened to it. And you will eventually begin to lose the ability to hear the primary proclamation of the church called callousness. It's in the Bible. Hardness of heart. We do not preach what we do. We preach what Christ has done and is now doing. And I have to remind my wandering, distracted heart over and over and over again that the floor I walk on is God's loving grace. The, the invitation that for me, that guy with the mic today, the invitation for me is to be secured by the love of Jesus, not how well I can get up here and talk. God, have mercy if my value is on this. I'm done. Forget it, right? You already knew that, right? Like all of us. Our value, what is securing us, that God's love has done something for us that we cannot do. That is what establishes us, secures us, blesses us, sustains us. And today, we get to watch in amazement as individuals have not just naturally experienced a group of Christians, but rather supernaturally experienced Jesus in our midst and are saying yes to him. It's amazing. We should marvel at this, right? And today, we get to rejoice in the fact that as we, as a group of friends, lean on the Holy Spirit, as we, as a group of friends, attempt to walk in humility and submission to God, we get to play a part in God's story in the earth. It is awe-inspiring. It is humbling. It is invigorating, right? Sleepy Christian, wake up and realize that God is doing something right now. I'm not talking just because we're dunking people today. I'm talking about God is doing, why, why are you in this room? Did you think it's coincidence you're in this room? Like God is doing something right now in you, in this place, in us. And he's inviting you to play a part in the story. And so today's going to be quick. I have one, one point, right? It is an extremely liberating truth. And I want you to hear it, and I'm going to try the best of my ability to communicate this to you. I have one thing to say. God's story is playing out in the earth, and you are not the star of God's story. Amen. Did it work? Did it work? Yeah. I'll tell you why that's good news in a second. Just hear me out. From your perspective, right, 
It just makes sense that you are the main player in the movie of your life, doesn't it? I mean, you're in every scene, right? You hear the internal dialogue. You're obviously the good guy, right? It's your life. You are the star. It's your journey, right? And the conflict and the resolution and all the twists and turns all ride on your decisions and your circumstances. I mean, doesn't it make sense? Of course. Some of your lives are comedies, you know? Some of your lives are dramas. Every guy thinks his, he's a star of an action movie, right? But it's clear from our experience and existence in the world that you are the star of the movie, right? You're, you're Frodo. And your BFF is Sam. And your pastor's Gandalf, right? And your mother-in-law's Gollum. I don't know. Or something like that, right? Or whatever. Or your, or your, boss, your boss is the witch king of Agmar. Whatever, right? It, Hello, Lord of the Rings people, come on. Anyway, um, But whatever it is, we have in our minds that we are the star. It's, it's our decisions, it's our strength, it's our struggle, it's our journey that ultimately matters most. It's, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not drive-by guilting you, I mean, it's just how we live. <laughs> I matter the most, my decisions. I mean, this is not that far-fetched, are we chatting? Right? This is the most, the most defining act. What's the most defining factor of your life? Well, you. You define yourself. You make decisions, right? But here's the problem with this. First, if you're the star of the show, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, it's all on your shoulders, man. In the end, it's up to you. And if you fail, it crumbles. If you don't have what it takes, if you can't make it happen, if you can't muster the strength, if you can't conquer the demons, then everyone around you is doomed, right? I mean, the performance is really all on you. You are the main one who's going to make it or break it. That, that's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of problems that come with this pressure, and it comes from the people around you in two main ways. The people around you will either buy in to your narrative, your story that you're the star of the movie. They're going to agree with you. Because why not, right? You're great, right? And you think, this is good. Everyone gets it, you know? They understand that their existence revolves around me. And the things that I like and do, and at first, it's great. But then you begin to sense there's not now just internal pressure for me to perform, but now I'm sensing there's external pressure from others to perform. And now I have this weight on my shoulders and they're really religious. And so I have to live up to all these standards that they're putting on my shoulders because I'm the star, I'm the hero, I have to save everyone. And everyone's expecting me to come out with a cape you know, and flying colors and, and win the day. And so now I have to live up not only to my own internal pressures, but their external pressures. You start feeling the weight of expectation of those around you, let me tell you something, it can be crushing, Amen. right? You start to feel the centrality of you in the cosmos, and that perspective creates a lot of weight up here, doesn't it? And it begins to crush it down on you. And you start realizing that other people, they're actually looking for you for their own sense of joy and happiness now, their own sense of security, their own even identity becomes tied to yours. I mean, who is Sam Wise without Frodo? He's no one. 
right? And their very existence begins to revolve around you if they buy into the story, right? They begin getting their value from you, from your successes or failures. And this is what happens, right? What happens when we buy into other people's stardom of the story, when we begin to uh, let them take the spotlight in our lives, it becomes dangerously close to idolatry. And one of the ways you know you've made an idol out of a person is that you love them until they fail you until they don't live up to the expectations of being a star. And then, very interesting thing happens, your love turns to hate and contempt. It's really a fascinating psychological phenomenon because you began to tie your value as a person to their success or failure. So this is why I'm always like confused when like dudes sport teams lose and they're like depressed for a week. I'm like, what are you on there? Like what is happening, right? Well, you've, atta you've attached your value to someone else's success or failure in a kind of silly way, right? Don't hate. Don't, I'm not trying to hate. I'm just saying. I'm just saying don't mope around for a week because your team lost. Like, you're going to be fine, right? And if they fail enough, right, be it uh, not a team of relational, right? If they fail enough, the tendency is to turn on them and despise them. We go from praising and admiring to hating and rejecting because they've not lived up to our expectation. This happens in surprising places in all of community, right? Parents put this on their kids. Wives put this on their husbands. Husbands put this on their wives. And we effectively make an idol out of each other and expect them to do what only God can do. Secure me, comfort me, redeem me, sustain me, give me value. And they will be crushed under the expectations right? Your husband's a great guy, okay? He may be super smart, but he is not God. Amen. And sister, he cannot secure you and fulfill you fully. All right, she may be pretty. All right, she's beautiful, winsome, but brother, she cannot fully fulfill you, secure you. Huh? We, we crush each other under the pressure that we often put on others. So the first problem with being a star is the unspoken expectation of perfection that comes with it. But there's another way those around us can respond to our insistence that we are the star. They can, get this, I can't, it's hard to believe, they can disagree and say, I'm the star, thank you very much. And you are a supporting role in my movie, all right? You're, in fact, you're Samwise. I'm Frodo, right? Never mind, you're Pippin, right? You're not even, you're not even Samwise. Right, you're just going to have to watch it, okay? If you've not seen it, you're just going to have to watch it. Because here you are, clearly the star of the show, and all the supporting actors and all the extras, they seem to think the movie is about them. I mean, can you imagine the chaos on the stage, right? And then... The motivation of everything you do has to be to remind everyone else that you are, in fact, the star of the movie. Hey, 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 this is about me. <laughs> you know how exhausting it is trying to remind everyone all the time that you're the star of the movie, right? You become an angry, frustrated, exhausted person, right? Trying to convince everyone, you know, I matter more than you, you know? It's exhausting. Every day becomes a knockout, what's the word? Knockdown drag out fight, right? You're driving in the car, screaming at everyone on the road, but no one seems to care, right? And you're frustrated with everyone, <laughs> right? And you're having arguments with extras. Like you're an extra, 
I don't need Your opinion doesn't matter, you know? And this is how people live. I was thinking about theater people all week. This is how many people, Christian or not, live their lives. Trying to assert their own centrality in the universe and frustrated as to why no one else gets it. So listen, I don't know if you're crumbling under the expectations of those around you. I don't know if you are expecting others to fulfill you and secure you and redeem you, or if you are enraged that no one seems to know the movie is about you. I have breathtaking, refreshing, liberating news for you today. You are not the star. In fact, let's go a step further and make that news even better. The lead role has been filled. And you didn't get it. I didn't either. We, we weren't even in the final round of auditions, right? Abraham was pretty close. Father Abraham, Father Abraham, you know? Like he offered his son, Isaac, but then he, he lied about his wife, you know? Didn't get the role. Moses, very close. Moses had an anger problem though. He like raged out on a rock, hit it over and over with a stick, didn't get it, right? David, David was the full package. I mean, he was the golden boy. I mean, he really handsome, warrior, prophet. I mean, he was, was, everyone was like, this is him, it's David, David's the guy, but he couldn't keep his sexual appetites in check. They didn't get it. Listen, I have the most amazing, shame-shattering, sin-removing news for you. The lead role has been filled in the cosmos. None of us could manage the pressure. The law of perfection was too heavy. Sin, too alluring. The promise of power, pleasure, immediate gratification, too compelling. Every single one of us caved. And Jesus was the only one strong enough to beat it. We gave in, right? We got swept up in our own fame and missed the one who truly accomplished fame. The star of the story is not you, it's not me, it's Christ. And his decisions, his strength, his struggle, his journey, his victory is what ultimately matters most if you are a Christian. Not your struggle, not your journey, not even your victories. What matters most is his. Hmm? And when we as Christians insist that we are the star of God's story, the church becomes deformed. And we replace the news of the gospel with the news of us. We become the content of Christianity and effectively rot off the vine. But when we as Christians begin to understand that there is no other name under heaven which men can be saved, that we aren't saved by following the rules, we aren't saved by being good, we aren't saved by our rightness at all, but rather are saved purely by the act of God in the sufferings of Christ, only then do we become fully alive and only then do we become witnesses of his glory. We are witnesses of the star, y'all. Me and you get to be witnesses of the light that dawned in those dwelling in deep darkness. It was us living in the depths of the caves. It was us who had burrowed into the darkness and learned to survive. Huh? 
It was us who have turned on our own brothers and sisters in selfishness and violence. And we all, every single one of us, guy with the mic too, learned to dwell in darkness. And Jesus came to us in our darkness and invites every single one of us to learn to love the light. That's the invitation today. I don't care where you're at, dude. I don't care. I don't care if you floated in here on angel's wings. I don't care if you're a pimp. I don't care if you're dealing drugs. The invitation to every single one of us in here today is to learn to love the light. Amen. To come out of the darkness. Hmm? Stop hiding. The good news is, y'all, we get to play a part in this story. Right? If our role was anything in the movie, it was first a mutinous rebel who tried to overthrow the true king. And the king himself, instead of obliterating the rebellion with an iron scepter as his role would justifiably allow, instead of using his power to crush, he used his power to empty himself. He didn't fear the darkness. He came to us in our confusion and used his power to heal, save, and redeem, to forgive our rebellion and absorb the penalty of our darkness and ignorance, right? And now invites us, once rebels, to be co-laborers with him. It's really an amazing story, right? He invites his enemies to partner with him in the redemption of all creation. Jesus is star of the story. And when it comes down to it, you can respond, you can respond in one of two ways uh, to the lead role being filled. You can rage out against God and everyone else and insist on your own wisdom and centrality and spend your life fighting for this. That's actually how religious people do it. Or you can graciously humbly accept the lavish gift of God. You can open your eyes to the fact that he poured himself out fully, that heaven gave all it had. He literally emptied the treasure chests of heaven. He gave everything it could give at great cost to himself, poured himself out on you despite your darkness and sin and shame. And then you can realize that we were all created to be supporting actors on the stage of history to his great glory and worth, right? Those are your options. Right? You can either hate God and eventually hate yourself for failing, or you can enjoy the grace given to you and the invitation to be a part of a story that is so much larger than yourself. Here's why it's good news that you're not the star, because the pressure's off. You no longer have to keep up the religious facade of perfection. Right? It's good news because you can come out of hiding. That's why it's good news, right? Because there's no way you ever could have dug your way out of that cave in the first place. And instead of work, you're invited to worship. Today, right now, we all get to witness the lead role doing only what he can do. And we get to rejoice that we get to play a part in the story. All right, so I don't care where you're at, man. The invitation has been sent. Learn to love the light. Let's pray, and then we're going to go into baptismals, okay? Lord, I pray.